Well, good morning, Community Heights family. It's good to see you this morning. Two weeks ago, uh, we were in 1 Corinthians 11. We had communion two weeks ago. And we looked in 1 Corinthians 11 where Paul was giving somewhat of a rebuke to the Corinthians saying that they were allowing the culture of the world to impose divisions on the body that they carried even right into the place of worship, right into the time of the Lord's Supper. And Paul rebuked them and said, it shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way because at the foot of the cross, the ground is level and there's an equality uh, amongst the people in the kingdom of God. And this morning, or or last Sunday, um, Pastor John talked about hospitality. And if there's one thing he said uh, many times through that message was that it's not about me. Right? It's not about me. Most of life we want to make about us, but it really isn't about us. And today we're talking about generosity, and we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. But before we go there, uh, there's, a, there's a verse in Psalm 112 that I think is a good big idea for this whole theme of the morning. It says, "...good will come to those who are generous and lend freely." who conduct their affairs with justice. Good will come to those who are generous. So, it's a good thing to be generous. And to be generous is to mean that it will result in good coming to you. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, lend without interest, who conduct their affairs with justice or with equity. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 13 through 16. So if you have your Bible, there's just a little bit of this that is not going to be up on the screen. And I wasn't going to read this, but as I looked at the passage and as I worked through it uh, last night and this morning again, I realized we can't leave that part out. Um, Speaking of generosity, so 15 days ago, it was a Saturday, uh, it was two weeks ago today I was here, it was the day before that uh, my mom was uh, at the place where she lives, and there's a, there's a long staircase that just goes straight down. And I finally got, a couple days ago, with the woman who caught her at the bottom. And uh, we, I've heard various versions. I finally heard it from the woman who was there that she was actually starting down the stairs, and she took a stumble on the first step, and she literally somersaults, 82 years old, she somersaults down the stairs. And this lady's at the bottom, catches her on about the third step and caught her from actually hitting bottom. And I don't know what would have happened then, but I'm pretty impressed that all those stairs down, uh, there's no broken bones. She was bruised up quite a bit, but that was, that was on a Saturday. And I, I knew about it. She went to the hospital, and then she was brought back that Saturday. And uh, that Sunday, then we were going to stay for another day or two. We, we weren't going to leave on Sunday. And then I got a call that she was taken back into the hospital. There were some issues and some problems. So we decided to leave that Sunday afternoon. And she got out uh, by Monday. And she seems to be doing okay. She has dementia. So she's never going to be, you know, okay. It's one of those uh, uh, digressive type things. But what I've realized over the last two weeks is I've had a lot of opportunities, uh, and my family has, my wife and my son, to be generous, to share 
generosity with the rest of my family. I've had a lot of opportunities. And I wish that I would have um, preached this message before I left. Because one of, the, one of the statements in the passage we're going to look at is that God loves a cheerful giver. A cheerful giver. And I think over the last two weeks, there have been enough occasions when I was not cheerful. I was begrudging a little bit. Uh, so when we go home in, in August, we have, we have two weeks. I always say that we grew up in New York. All of our families in New York. But we can live... 50 weeks in Iowa out of the year if we get two weeks in New York with family. It's always been taking our kids back to see their family, to see their grandparents. Um, and we also get to take all of a year's drama and fit it into two weeks. So our families have drama, right? So we get all the drama in two weeks when we go back. Um, but we, have op- we had opportunities to be generous with our time and with our hearts uh, and just be able to help. So we got mom's house all taken care of. Uh, we just have to we have to sell it now. But we got everything sorted out and all that. We got mom moved from the second floor to the first floor. Hopefully she remembers that she doesn't have to go up those stairs anymore uh, because she doesn't really know how to use the elevator. Uh, but she, everything seems to be in good working order. She seems to be doing well these last couple days. But getting back to this passage on generosity makes me think, okay, so the next time I go back, I have to work on the cheerful part of it. Because, you know, generosity works a lot better when you do it cheerfully and when you don't do it out of compulsion or begrudgingly. So in in 2 Corinthians 7, we were two weeks ago in 1 Corinthians where Paul was pretty upset with the Corinthians. They They were not doing things the way he knew they should be done, especially as it came to treating each other within the body. They were allowing the cultural divisions to come in and to exist within the body at their time of worship, and it was hurting the church. But now we're probably two letters down the road. There was probably a second letter that that got lost or that didn't make it into the canon of Scripture. So now 2 Corinthians, probably 3 Corinthians. And in chapter 7, verse 13, he says this. Paul says, By all this we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you've not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you." This is a different situation than we saw a couple weeks ago in 1 Corinthians 11. He was not very pleased, and they have grown and they have changed as a church. So now moving into chapter 8, there's this situation where the churches north of them that Paul had planted in the air, so they're in this area called uh, Achaia or Achaia, and there's uh, an area north of them called Macedonia. Churches previous to this writing had gathered, accumulated the resources and taken up a collection for the mother church back in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem where they were suffering and they were undergoing persecution and they really had need, they didn't have enough, the churches that Paul had planted were taking up a collection to send back. And so they had already done it. So when Paul says in chapter 8, verse 1, and now brothers and sisters, 
we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This word grace and the word gift are are playing on each other here. So this gift of giving that God has given the Macedonian churches, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflow and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So this is kind of a key verse in the passage. They were undergoing themselves a severe trial. Their overflowing joy combined with their extreme poverty and it welled up into rich generosity. So there's a trial and there's joy. And what comes out of it is generosity, which is a lesson for us. It's not always when things are good and we've got a ton that we can be generous to share. We can be generous to share all the time. And we're going to see a little bit why in just a second. So let's see, where are we? Verse uh, 3, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. So they gave what they could give, and then even what they couldn't give. They sacrificed. They gave even more to take up some hardship on themselves. They gave even more. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They considered this giving, this sharing, they considered it a privilege. Verse 5, and they exceeded our expectations. How? They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. There's a great uh, a paradigm there. Give yourself to God first, and then you can give to others. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love you have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now verse 8. I'm not commanding you. I'm going in and out here, aren't I? Just to keep you on your toes. There. How's that? In and out? Uh, yeah, what? <laughs> Thank you. Um, so now we're, now we're back onto the screen. Uh, verse 7. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So now we're at the end of verse 9 of uh, chapter 8. And Paul has basically said, you got the Macedonian churches who, out of severe trial, they, they had an overflowing joy, they had rich generosity, and you've got Jesus over here who, though he was rich, he became poor, so that you, from his poverty, might become rich. These are two, these are two models for us as we think about being generous. We think about the Macedonian churches. Well, they did anyway, because it was near to them, proximity-wise. They could relate to them. But then we think about Jesus, who was our model for generosity. That though he was rich, he became poor, so that we could become rich through his poverty. Verse 10, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. So as we talk about generosity, 
It's always, God always recognizes it's according to our means. It's according to what we have, not what we don't have. I mean, how can we give something that we don't have? But God gives us stuff so that we can share with others. Uh, According to your means, the next verse, verse 12. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So we're all at different levels, right? We're all at different, uh, our, our balance sheet is all in a different spot. Our cash flow is all at a different spot. Uh, our obligations are all at a different spot. But God is saying to be generous is, a, is a mo- it's an act of the heart. It's from the heart is to be generous, not, not what we have. It doesn't matter what we have. Whatever we have, we can be generous with. Now he says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed. Sometimes we might think that, that in order to be really generous, we have to, we have to give to the point where we're hard-pressed. We don't have enough. We're a hard-luck case. But that's not what God says. It's not what Paul is teaching here. He's saying it's not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Now, I don't know when it was, but I know recently I stood here or maybe in one of those rooms and talked about this word equality and how that as Americans, when we hear that word equality in an economic context, we can easily slip into thinking, oh, boy, that sounds like socialism or communism to me. But, but taking politics out of it and taking economics out of it and bringing the kingdom into it, God is saying that as believers, you want to take care of one another. You want there to be equality because, going back to 1 Corinthians 11, there is equality. Before God, we're all the same. Before God, we're all at the same spot. We're all desperate and in need of his righteousness. And we all get the same amount of righteousness from him when we confess our sins to him and when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. God takes our sin, he puts, it's been put on his son on the cross, and he, Jesus takes his righteousness and he puts it on us. So the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Now moving into this kingdom economy, he's saying, I just want there to be equality. Now he's going to explain that, verse 14. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Because at some point, you might be in desperate need. And you're going to hope that the other believers who have plenty are going to share with you so that your need is met. Notice the word need here. Need. And notice the word plenty. We never, we never see the word um, extravagance in this context or any word like it. We think about God's extravagant love toward us. But in this, in this issue of, especially back then, think about the world back then, right? There was, uh, there was a lot of desperateness and desperation. There was a lot of that in the world, in the known world at the time. And so there was, there was a few that had a lot, and there was a lot that had nothing, and there was a little bit on the in-between. And he's saying that in the economy of the kingdom, here at the end of verse 14, the goal is equality. Equality. As it is written, verse 15, 
The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. In Exodus 16, who, who remembers what that's talking about? That's talking about what in Exodus 16? The manna, right? The manna. The what is it? So the people came out, and, and on the ground it was all spread out, and they're like, what is it? And yeah, that's what it is. It's what is it? So they called it manna, which literally means what is it? And six days out of the week, the manna would come on the ground. And they would go out and they would collect it. Well, some of them tried to collect two days' worth. And then the next morning, they woke up and the second day's worth of manna was rotted. And there were worms in it. They could only collect enough for one day, except for on the sixth day. And on the sixth day, they collected twice as much And when they woke up on the Sabbath, the twice as much was not filled with worms, and it wasn't rotted. But the people, they all had the same stuff. They all had this manna, and they all had just what they needed. And it said when it first came that the people collected, and whatever they collected, everybody had just enough. Nobody had too much, and nobody had too little. And Paul, I love Paul when he goes back to the Old Testament and he takes Old Testament teaching. And as he's talking about the, the economy of the day, and he's challenging the Corinthians to take up this offering for the believers in Jerusalem who are, who are really in poverty and who aren't even eating properly, he says to them, I think this is a good story, the story of the manna. You remember the manna? Everybody had the same amount. Nobody, this was, this was not free market capitalism at its best. The manna, right? It just wasn't. Nobody could, like, produce it. Nobody could store it. Nobody could market it and sell it. It was there every day. Uh, Give us this day, what? Our daily bread. That's what it was. And he's using that as an example of how the people should share. They, your plenty will supply what they need, so in turn, their plenty will supply what you need what you need. So you have more than you need right now. You can share some with those who don't have anything or who don't have what they need. Verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 9. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangement for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So there's some order and there's some method going on here. And Paul has said, I've sent some people ahead. They're going to organize this and they're going to collect this gift so that it can be ready and ready to be given generously, not begrudgingly. Verse 6, remember this. And here's a great principle coming up. Whoever sows sparingly, you put just a few seeds in the ground, will also reap sparingly. Now he's comparing giving to planting seed. In planting seed, there's a, always the expectation of a harvest. It's interesting that he's using this analogy. And whoever sows generously, you put a lot of seed in the ground, will also reap generously. That's a great principle. If you want to be blessed, you share and you give, not just with money, but with time, with love, with affection, with talent, with skill. With, again, with time, time is like our most valuable asset these days. But we give of our time to others. And if we sow generously, we'll reap generously. Verse 7, each of you should give what? What you have decided in your heart to give. Boy, God gives us freedom, right, in this giving. 
except for this. He needs to be generous. Because generosity, generosity is in the heart of the king. And he wants that to be in the heart of his followers. He wants us to be a generous people. Give what you have decided in your heart to give. In your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. So while I was gone, I had, you know, 12 days. And maybe for me, some of it was reluctantly or under compulsion. I was kind of under compulsion. Uh, I was being compelled to do some things that I had to do because I only had so much time. And there was this fight between vacation, which is supposed to be rest, right, and refreshment, and just different work in a different place, right? But isn't that often what it means to be generous? And cheerfulness is a decision that we make in our heart. And again, I wish I would have thought of this before I went and had been more intentional about the cheerful side of it because I think then the generosity is more enjoyed and even more effective. God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, not necessarily more than enough, but all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This is the new covenant economy. See, in the old covenant, you literally, your crops would be blessed. Literally, your livestock would be blessed and would multiply. They would be healthy. There were literal physical blessings. But in the new covenant, in the new economy, in the kingdom, it's a little different. We're not guaranteed the physical blessings. But he says, you'll abound in every good what? good work. God wants us to to be and to do. Be the kingdom and do what the kingdom does. Be the body of Christ and do what the body of Christ does. And it goes back to what Pastor John talked about last week. It's not about me. It's not about me. As it is written, Psalm 112, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. That same Psalm where verse 5 says, good will come to those who are generous and lend freely who conduct their affairs with justice. Now, let's finish out chapter 9. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, right? The, the, the farmer has a seed, but he didn't manufacture the seed. God supplies the seed. And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of what? Your righteousness. Again, not literal physical blessings, like in the law in Israel, but this blessing of righteousness, this blessing of being and doing and working with others and sharing and giving and making it not about us, this kingdom life. You'll be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. That's why we're enriched. We're given so that we can give. We're blessed so that we can share. We're enriched so that we can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Again, it goes back to God. So when we're generous with others and we help others, they thank God for helping them. It's just that God helped them through us. God wants to help others through you. God wants to help others through us together this week, together and individually. God wants to work in the lives of others through us. 
which means it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about others. Verse 12, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. He just says it again in a different way. Many expressions of thanks, this service that you perform. Because of the service by which you proved yourselves, others will praise God for what? For the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. So praise praise is going to go to God because of your obedience, because of your generosity. So again, it's all about, it's pointing back to God, the last two verses. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God. And he brings it all the way full circle back around to Jesus. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, that gift of the one who became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. So when you take that and you translate that into our lives, that we would become more poor so that through our movement toward poverty, others could become rich. So God wants us to be a generous people. So I've got four takeaways, real quick. Four takeaways. Number one, Jesus is our model for generosity. The Macedonian churches... They were, they were a great model for the, for the Corinthians. Um, but for us, Jesus is our model for generosity. For you know the gift of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace, the gift, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Is this not the gospel? That's the gospel, that Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. That's the gospel. Number two, anyone can be generous because it isn't a matter of wealth. It's a matter of our heart. It's a matter of our heart. According to what one has, not according to what one does not have. It's just whatever God gives us. So you think about the woman. Again, we read this four weeks ago, four or five, when we talk about generosity. Jesus at the temple, and she's the woman. Clink, clink, drops her two coins in. She's giving out of her poverty, out of her lack. She's giving. She's giving more than those who are dumping in tithes and offerings out of their abundance, out of their wealth. Jesus singled, signaled, signaled, singled, singled her out. And he said, that woman over there, that, that widow is taking all that she has and dropping it in. And out of her poverty she's giving, while others are giving out of their wealth. So anyone can be generous. Number three, we determine how much, what you have decided in your heart to give. You remember Ananias and Sapphira, right? They sold the piece of land, and they came and they, they held some money back. And they brought the rest of it to the apostles' feet. And they were asked, is this what you sold the piece of land for? They were like, Yeah. Yeah, exactly this much. And they both lost their lives. We decide how much. All they had to have said was, you know, we kept some of it. It's ours. It's ours, and we're bringing this much, and we want to give this much. I believe they would have been blessed had they just told the truth and said, this is what we're giving. Instead, they they wanted to be seen as somebody they weren't, 
and they kept money back that probably, probably because of the way the story goes, they didn't really need, but they wanted it. So we determine how much, but it should be generous. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. God wants our giving to be generous. He wants us to be a generous people. Then the last one, generosity is a great investment. Some people are wired to see all of life in the world through this prism of finance. And that's not good or bad. It just is. It's a matter of the heart that decides what is good or bad. Other people see all of life through the prism of tasks. Other people see all of life through the prism of relationship. None of that's good or bad. It just is. But some people see all of life through the prism of finance. And God, I think, especially wants those people that are wired that way to make sure that they are generous, that they are generous, that they don't allow their vision of seeing all of life in terms of monetary to cause them to hold back. But they would be generous and they would be givers. And if God's given you the gift of giving, then give, because that's where you make your greatest impact, and that's where God blesses you, and that's where your heart grows the largest. If you've been given the gift of giving, then give. And I'm not saying just give to the church. Give everywhere. Give every day. Give to anyone who has need and share. Generosity for people who see life in terms of finance. Generosity is a great investment. It's always going to be a great investment. Good will come to those who are generous. So I want to invite Robbie Robinson to come up. Robbie is the director of Discover Hope here in uh, Newton. And uh, Robbie has worked with Discover Hope for Come on, Robbie, come on. I can't, I can't think of anything else to say about you. Yeah, keep going, keep going. Um, we do fifth Sunday offerings here. And we actually hadn't done a fifth Sunday offering in a while. And we did one two, two weeks ago. And I had no idea what the fifth Sunday offering was going to be uh, in terms of an amount. But we had decided as a board several months back that we wanted to give a fifth Sunday offering to Discover Hope because of what they're doing because of their unique uh, niche or niche, however you want to say it, in our community in terms of ministry. And uh, you all at, at Community Heights Church gave, and I was so filled with joy when I saw this, $15,360 to Discover Hope Ministry. And I, I want you to feel... So I, I want you to feel that, that generosity as I hand that check into Robbie's hands because it's, it's from you and it's a group of people saying, dude, you're doing a good job with the ministry that God has called you to and with the team that you're leading at Discover Hope. And we want to be supportive, not just with money, but our church wants to be supportive in other ways and we already are. But this is certainly going to help you and what you're doing to acquire uh, uh, the finances to finish what you've started there right next to... Funny how he places building right next to Burger King and McDonald's. <laughs> uh, I mean, a brother got to eat. <laughs> so, you know... So, so, so t- I, I'm, I'm going to put this in my pocket before you change your mind. Okay. I love you, you guys, do though. That. <laughs> uh, thank you tremendously. Uh, my heart is truly... Truly, truly humble because as I have continued to grow in this ministry and continue to go through so many valleys. So, so a lot of people don't understand ministry. 
They just don't. They think it's just easy and it's fun. It's the greatest thing ever. But it is challenging to continue every day to intentionally to surrender yourself to the call that God has given you to serve people. And people are the ones who destroys you the most because they don't understand the purpose that God has given you. So being generous, you're talking about being generosity, that's kind of been my family's heart posture. My beautiful family's back there. Thank you guys for welcoming us to join you this morning. So yeah, thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, and so, and, and my wife has been blessed. She's been, she actually been tagging along behind me for several weeks. So I've been speaking all over the place in different churches because I believe God has called me to be a part of many churches, not just one. And to serve his kingdom purpose. And so it's been just a phenomenal experience in our life. And we have truly been blessed to have such a church partnership to continue to believe in the vision God has given Discover Hope and, and being able to minister to so many people's lives in this community. Generations in this community, uh, individuals who have been destroyed from a culture of addiction. And so a lot of us in here have someone or know someone who have been affected by it. In some way, somehow, and we have been able to, in the course of the last year and a half, to minister over 500 and some people in this community, even before God gave us a house, even before the Lord gave us a house. And so we've been tremendously blessed. And so I've been told that I should share a, a live story. So I, yeah. I brought a video, though, because it's, you guys hear me talk all the time, and I'm okay with talking. But really, it's about who are the people that's been affected by the ministry, and how those individuals who are coming into Discover Hope is having this encounter with the Lord and God is moving in their lives, beginning to restore their lives. And now they're coming back through the ministry to serve. So not only are they serving in their churches because the, these people that you're about to see on the screen, every one of them goes to a different church in this community. None of them just goes to my church. None of them just goes to this church. They all serve in a different church. And they are growing in their church and their families serving their church. But they've come back now to discover hope to serve people. And that's what the ministry is true about when we look at what Jesus really did when he came to this earth. So just, just a couple minutes. There's only like a minute and 55 seconds. If you can bear with me, please. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You no longer are bound to who you used to be. Your old life doesn't define you anymore. You are new in Christ Jesus. God has defined you in a new way. It's all about the mission of Discover Hope. You know, Discover Hope through Christ Jesus for those who want to transform to a new life and break free from their past. I never knew what was to be free, totally free, until I came to Discover Hope. I love to see people being clean and receiving Jesus or, you know, getting a taste of him. Because you know, he's the... He's the solution. He's the reason. He's, he's it. <laughs> when you're leaving, you can't help but feel like you want to come back. You know, the people are just amazing. They support, support, support. It's so important. Just in recovery. And the support is just, yeah, phenomenal. I would say that was definitely what kept me from going back to using. The fellowship, just prayer time alone. I mean, it's one-on-one. -on -one, it's group. It's so many things. So many things. Now, I'm seeking him again because I yearn for that closeness again. Like being able to talk to people and actually care for other people. And through Discover Hope, I mean, I figured out that you know, Christ defines me.
to make a difference one life at a time. Those are the individuals that you are supporting. Amen. Yes. Clap for that. Amen. Yes. It's, it's, it's truly, truly not about Robbie. It's truly, truly not about Discover Hope 517 Ministries. It's truly about the lives in this community that God has chosen to save. And it's amazing when our church families can truly be the church. And I want to thank you as a body to help lead that charge. That other churches might see how we as a body of believers can join together for the Great Commission. And that's what Discover Hope is all about. So thank you so much because we cannot do this without you. Discover Hope does not receive any funding outside of the kingdom movement. And we've been truly blessed by that. No, no state funding, no anything. We raise all our funding, and it's because of the church partnerships and individuals who believed in us. And because of that, we've been able to get the communities on board to also believe in us. And so we've been awarded just some great funding for our new building. So I got a three-point challenge, and I'm going to get off this mic. And it's this. Continue to pray. Continue to pray for God's purpose to be done and to expand this kingdom. Continue to pray for that and for this community, the community that we all claim to love and live in. And the second thing is this. Please come and see. 733 First Avenue East, right across the street from McDonald's, right next to Burger King, which they have a lot that we're, we believe in God's going to give us too. Come and see what the Lord is doing. Don't just take my word. Come and see the people lives that you are investing in when you come and serve a meal on the second Tuesday of every month. When your church does that, when you come and volunteer, come and see the people you are serving. And the third thing will happen. You will partner. Financially, service, volunteers, feeding, donations, giving. Because that's what we're supposed to do as a church body. So thank you so much for this generous gift. And it will continue to go into our building. So we're hoping by fall we have the community center open. And then we will start working on our recovery transitional housing for men. We're able to house up to 12 guys all in one facility. So we're super excited about that as well. And so God is doing some great things for our community. So thank you for your support. And Robbie, you work with, you work with uh, people with, um, uh, that are addicted to heroin. Yes right? Yes. And I was just sharing, I don't remember if I shared it with you or not, that a pastor friend of mine in Connecticut, Vinny Provenzano, has got a, well, he had a 21-year-old daughter who passed away from a heroin overdose uh, just about uh, a year and a month ago. And, you know, it's not, it's not just the poor, you know, that have addiction issues. It's just not a certain segment of our community that needs the ministry that, that you have, it's, it's all of us. It's in all of our families. It's, it, it's the rich, the poor, it doesn't matter. Economics doesn't matter with this, uh, with this addiction. And I want to thank you for what you're doing in that, and uh, I really appreciate it, and I'm glad that we can support. So let me pray. Let me pray for you, and uh, we'll sing one more song, and then we'll be done. God, I thank you for Robbie Robinson. Lord, I thank you for his staff I thank you for the volunteers that he has. Lord, I thank you for the partnerships that he's creating across the community, for the other pastors and churches uh, and boards. I thank you for those who serve on the Discover Hope Board. Pastor John, uh, right from our church, is a part of that. 
Lord, I thank you for those who go uh, on Tuesday nights and on other nights of the week and are a part of what's going on at Discover Hope. Uh, God, and I thank you, Lord, for uh, Robbie's vision and for uh, his, his energy and his enthusiasm. God, I pray, I pray that not just Community Heights, not just the way or not just uh, Grace Church or these other churches, I pray that all of the churches in Newton would be supportive and would be a part of what Discover Hope is doing, would own Discover Hope, would fund it, would support it and staff it with volunteers and with, uh, with man hours, with time. God, I pray that you would lead the people gifted to help others who are in addiction and in recovery and going through crisis, God, to serve. I pray you'd bring gifted people into that ministry to serve. And Lord, I don't know enough about Discover Hope, but I imagine there's some areas of ministry where they're lacking the right gifting with people. And I pray, Lord, that you would supply the right gift in this Holy Spirit that you would bring and gift the people that need to be a part of that. God, I pray that together the body of Christ, the body of Christ, those of us who follow Jesus, we're one body. I pray that we would come together in our community to help those in the most desperate situations who, who don't need one or two, who don't need different churches, who need the one church in Newton to be there to support them and to reach out to them in their time of need, no matter the name on the front of the building. So, Lord, I just pray that you would take this money that uh, our church has given and that you would bless it and use it, that you would multiply it, that more would come in, and that the ministry they have, God, would continue to grow so that we can reach more people for Jesus. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to share and to be generous. In Jesus' name, amen.